1: Welcome to New Books in Israel Studies. I'm Yaakov Yadgar, and today we're talking to Jamie Stern Weiner about his edited volume, Moment of Truth, Tackling Israel's Palestine's Toughest Questions. The book seeks to clarify what it would take to resolve the Israel Palestine conflict, to assess the prospects of doing so, and to illuminate the future possibilities for the region. Uh, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So let us begin with uh, the very basic notion of writing today or publishing today in 2018 a book about the Israel-Palestine conflict, uh, a conflict which uh, to many in the region nowadays seems to be unresolvable or unsolvable, uh, with the current bon ton being how to contain or manage it. How did you come about writing a book about solving it?
2: Right, so the title, Moment of Truth, was intended in part to allude to precisely that growing sense, that growing feeling that, well, the occupation is now in its second half century, Israel's rule in the occupied territories is more entrenched than it's ever been. And there's a growing feeling among Palestinians, but also among their supporters abroad, and even just among observers of the conflict more generally, that the Palestinians' long quest for self determination has reached an impasse, a crossroads, or even a historic dead end. Mm-hmm. Uh, this feeling pertains, on the one hand, to the means that the Palestinian national movement has deployed to prosecute its struggle in the past few decades. So, at one poll, you might say armed struggle, armed resistance, um, and at the other poll, you might say international diplomacy these methods are now widely viewed to have been exhausted. Uh, More fundamentally still, the political objective to which the Palestinian struggle has been oriented since at least the late 1980s, namely an independent Palestinian state within the context of a two-state solution, um, is now increasingly viewed as past its sell-by date, as no longer practically implementable. Uh, or even desirable, Mm -hmm. uh, due primarily to the ever-growing dimensions of Israel's land grab, its settlement project in the West Bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, the title, Moment of Truth, was also intended in another sense, namely that precisely this moment is no time for illusions. Mm -hmm. Palestinians and their supporters have experienced protracted defeat and despair And there is a political vacuum at present where a national movement, a national leadership ought to be on the Palestinian side. And all of those ills, those pathologies, are apt to breed delusions. On the one hand, I would say excessive despondency, defeatism, despair. And on the other, flights of fancy uh, that take no account of political realities and plausible political realities so this book was an attempt to use the series of rather miserable milestones that we recently passed the 50th anniversary of Israel's occupation the centenary of the conflict if one dates it from the Balfour Declaration the 10th year of the siege of Gaza um, to use those uh, landmarks as an opportunity to soberly clearly uh, reassess uh, the situation, to take stock, to draw on now five decades of what have mostly been failures and false starts, and to think seriously just what is and what is
1: not possible in Palestine going forward. Mm-hmm. Not a minor task. Now, um, so uh, let's discuss for a moment how uh, you frame the discussion on the debate. Um, the book is divided into three main sections titled Palestine, Strategy and International. Uh, Can you maybe explain what um, each section is about or what was the logic behind this uh, division of the book? So the book's trying to do two
2: things really. Number one, to assess the prospects of resolving the conflict and number two, to weigh up some alternative strategies for advancing towards a resolution and those are obviously closely related tasks but nonetheless distinct and so that explains why strategy was given its own its own section Mm -hmm. Um, and under that section the strategy section includes debates about questions like um, the utility of human rights as a framework for um, ending the occupation whether or not armed struggle can end the siege of gaza which i think um is obviously has great pertinence to what's currently going on the Mm -hmm. courageous mass non-violent protests that Mm -hmm. are happening in gaza um as we speak um whether or not the apartheid framework uh in international fora international legal and political fora has potential for advancing uh the struggle to end the occupation Mm -hmm. and so forth um as for the other two sections, Palestine and, and international, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the question of Palestine has been internationalized from its inception. Um, the prospects for resolving the conflict have always depended, on, to Palestinians' misfortune, I must say, on regional and great power developments. And so any assessment of the terrain uh, and of the prospects for moving forward has to take into account both the situation on the ground and the, poli- the politics on the ground, um, and broader regional and international dynamics. Mm-hmm. Now the book starts with Palestine because I think if previous national liberation struggles, and in particular uh, an, al- an analogy that's often drawn upon when talking about this conflict, namely the struggle against apartheid in South Africa, if they teach us anything, It's that the internal struggle is prime is at least in a context like Palestine's is um, primary. Mm-hmm external support is often crucial but um it's secondary so the book begins with a discussion of palestine um partly for that reason partly also because i think it's that prime arena internal palestinian politics that is most challenging at present that's most difficult the opening chapter of the book which features contributions by nathan brown diana butu and others um makes clear that uh, the Palestinian political scene is fragmented in ways which are unprecedented, at least since the occupation began. Uh, Also addressed under that section, the Palestine section, are two very important questions, in my opinion, bearing on whether it remains possible to resolve the conflict through a two-state solution. Mm -hmm. There's a chapter asking whether Israel's annexation of East Jerusalem is now irreversible, mm-hmm. perhaps for political reasons, or perhaps for facts on the ground reasons. It's the the two the two sides of the city are too intermeshed or intermingled to now realistically disentangle. Mm-hmm. Um, and chapter three, which in my opinion is the most important chapter of the book, asks whether the settlements have rendered a two-state solution impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that chapter mm-hmm. features. I mean, there's many contributors to it. Um, Gideon Levy, uh, the Haaretz correspondent, um, and long a voice of moral courage and integrity inside Israel. Um, Shlema Ben Amin, former foreign minister and so on. I think of particular interest to students of the conflict and activists as well is the exchange in that chapter between two leading Advisors on issues of territory, settlements, and borders mm-hmm. to the Israeli successive Israeli negotiating teams and PLO negotiating teams, respectively. Mm-hmm. Shaul Arieli um, on the Israeli side and Jan De Jong uh, on the. I mean, he's a Dutch cartographer, but he advised the PLO negotiating team on these questions, uh, and they really debate in authoritative detail the question of just how many settlers just how many settlements Israel would have to evacuate in order to make a two-state solution Mm -hmm. viable Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's a crucial chapter now, as for the international section um, the book features two chapters one focused on the regional scene Mm -hmm. and one on uh, the broader international scene, which uh, in this case focuses on the US Mm -hmm. Um, regionally, the question of or the, the prospects for the Palestinian struggle have become much more difficult in the past decade as the civil conflicts and the resurgence of the Ancien regime across the Arab world have eclipsed the question of Palestine. And in fact, um, just as before the first intifada in the 80s, the Arab states are now increasingly allied with Israel in the face of a common rival, Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, that poses real challenges for. Um, The Palestinian struggle And contributors to that chapter Including Gilbert Ashkar Rami Khouri um, They debate whether The current eclipse of Palestine In Arab politics is likely to be Permanent or temporary Mm -hmm. Chapter 15 Which is the other chapter In the international section Examines just what it would take What conditions would be required For the United States to be Induced to exert real pressure on israel uh, to withdraw from the occupied territories and to answer that question norman finkelstein who writes the opening essay in that chapter um draws on the experience of the carter administration in brokering israel egypt peace in the 70s using recently declassified um, documents mm-hmm. uh, and among the respondents to his essay are John Mearsheimer and also William Quant, who, apart from being an academic authority, served on Carter's um, National Security Council um, mm-hmm. during the Israel-Egypt negotiations. So again, I think that chapter is of a great interest both mm-hmm. to scholarship and to political activists that I have to say the political conclusions are quite um, depressing of that yeah. particular chapter.
1: So just before we go into this fascinating political discussion that uh, is entailing all of this, uh, one more note regarding the uh, your role as an editor and the structure which you chose uh, for the book. This is quite an unusual and, in, I must say, an enlightened uh, way of uh, constructing the discussions. Each one of the chapters has... Um, Well, a speaker, I would say, or an argument made by one author and then uh, several responses. Mm. Um, As you already mentioned regarding the different chapters, some of them are uh, contesting uh, responses. Um, Can you explain the logic behind this and how you came about? And also, how did you get all of these writers to write (laughs) for you? (laughs) Um, The answer to the second question is by being
2: very annoying to a lot of people. Um, actually I was quite surprised at how willing people were to contribute. This is, a, this is an experience I've, I've, um, experienced before when I was an editor of new left project, which was a, a, political website in the UK, um, which I edited until 2015 and we had no budget. Um, and yet we sought to publish a new piece every day mm-hmm. and somehow we were always surprised that people were just willing to share their findings if they thought they were of political importance. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other particular techniques that can be used, uh, but uh, that's that's the essence. Um, yeah. As for the structure, um, I think I think that's what makes it so distinctive. A collection, um, as you say, each chapter is oriented towards a specific question, um, which bears. In my judgment, directly on the prospects for resolving the conflict. So, for example, one chapter might be headlined "Can armed struggle end the siege of Gaza?" Yeah. And then, um, instead of a single author presenting her arguments, uh, there's a number of authors um, who disagree with each other uh, in direct critical ex- critical exchange on that question. Um, you mentioned one format. Another format is, for example, in the Jerusalem chapter. Yeah. Um, It opens with a back and forth debate between two people and then three other authorities from different perspectives uh, comment on that exchange. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I chose that structure for two reasons, really. One, I found it more compelling to read. Mm. I mean, everyone likes a fight. (laughs) They like to watch a battle. Uh, There's a thrill to watching informed, um, well-advanced arguments do battle with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, you know, I, I, I quote John Stuart Mill um, in the introduction to the book uh, the rough process of a struggle between combatants fighting under hostile banners, as he puts it, is really the best method that we've come up with for arriving at truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really prefer an argument, and you can't even really know an argument until you've seen how it performs in combat with opposing arguments and ideally opposing arguments that are expressed in their strongest form so I hoped that by bringing together um, so many voices, I mean there's nearly 60 contributors and from a wide range of perspectives Palestinians, Israelis um, people from abroad also academics, activists political officials, bringing them together um, to hash it out would leave readers both more informed about the real knob of the disputes mm-hmm. um, and ultimately in a better position, I hope,
1: to draw their own conclusions. Yeah. So, uh, let's go back for a second for the content aspect and just mention the, the obvious, uh, we both did not discuss an Israel part of the book, um, Israel is surely not absent from the book, but you chose not to dedicate a separate discussion to uh, Israel. What stands behind this decision?
2: So, yeah, as you say, aspects of Israeli politics and political culture are talked about in other chapters. For example, the dynamics of uh, Israeli public opinion about Jerusalem, about the settlements and so on. But there isn't a distinct Israel section. And really what lay behind that choice was my assessment that at present, and I stress at present because it could obviously change, but at present... Um, the Israeli political sphere is not the primary one, is not the crucial one for efforts to change the situation. Mm -hmm. I think the South Africa precedent suggests, and current trends in Israeli politics affirm, that the dominating society will not uh, voluntarily, from within, relinquish its spoils. Um, Until the other spheres which are addressed in the book, the Palestinian sphere on the one hand, in the international, including the regional sphere, on the other, until there are changes in those spheres such that a real cost Mm -hmm. begins to be imposed on Israeli politics and society for continuing the occupation. Until that happens, I don't see any hope for change from within Israel. Mm -hmm. It's quite hopeless, and just to look at the so-called Israeli opposition is enough to... Uh, demonstrate that actually the many of the israeli activists that i am aware of and that i know personally are well aware of that which is why i think you've seen a trend among israeli human rights groups and also israeli political activists towards orientating their pedagogical activities and their agitational activities towards the outside mm-hmm. you know publishing in english addressing international fora pleading for pleading for mm-hmm. um International pressure to be exerted on Israel. Uh, I think the judgment that lays
1: behind those decisions is accurate. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I just I just must note that if I understand the situation correctly, um, uh, an understanding of how Israel and uh, Israelis understand or construct uh, their own national and Jewish national identity as Jews. Uh, is a prerequisite for understanding how they position themselves vis-a-vis the Palestinians in this conflict. I think this is reflected or uh, it is considered in uh, the discussion on Israeli-Palestinians or Palestinian citizens of Israel in which um, the the question whether the framework of the discussion is a one-state or a uh, two-state discussion comes to the fore. Can you say something about this? From what I uh, gather, what I guess uh, our listeners can gather from what you said until now, you seem to be thinking along the 1967 two-state framework and you don't think the 48-one state uh, as a a framework for the solution. Is this correct? That is correct as
2: regards my own views. Um, And I explained in the introduction that those views certainly helped shape the kind of questions that I decided to include in the book. However, many, maybe even most of the contributors to the book do not agree with me uh, for precisely the reasons, or at least as, as precisely as part of the trend that we discussed at the beginning of growing despair in the possibility and even growing belief in the undesirability of a two-state solution. Um, and the chapter you mentioned, um, which uh, discusses the role and potential role of Palestinian citizens of Israel in resolving the conflict, really brings those debates and those issues to the fore. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think, at least in my reading of that chapter, um, the contributors show that the Green Line, while certainly important as a legal uh, fact, um as a, as a description of reality, mm-hmm. um, obscures as much as um, it enlightens. Mm-hmm. Many of the processes, as, as, for example, the chapter by Suhad Bishara in the book, shows the processes of dispossession, of displacement, of legal discrimination, and so forth, which um, have characterized Israeli rule in the occupied territories, not only did characterize how Israel, um, or how the Yeshuv, Mm -hmm. Um, colonised what's now Israel, but continues to characterise how the state of Israel relates to its non-Jewish minority. Mm -hmm. Um, So that one-state reality, as it's often called, is a crucial fact to consider. Mm -hmm. It doesn't follow that politically um, the one-state reality Mm -hmm. um, necessarily uh, um, implies that a one-state
1: solution is the most plausible uh, route to go. Mm -hmm. So so given this uh, reality of Israel society as you describe it as seeming to prefer now to just contain or uh, maintain the conflict and, um, well, probably not willing to make uh, concessions to reach a two-state solution, um, what does the book say regarding the preferred course of action on the international and the Palestinian side
2: so most of the contributors to the book, not all but most take it as a given that uh, the chief obstacle to resolving the conflict in general and ending the occupation in particular is Israeli intransigence combined with the lack of leverage on the part of Palestinians on their own to overcome Israeli rejectionism Mm -hmm. and the at present unwillingness of international actors to um, exert pressure on Israel to bring it into line mm-hmm. um, the proposed course of action for international uh, bodies and and states uh, it's implicit in the book would be to exert pressure on Israel to um, to withdraw however the book does not really seek to make policy recommendations to um officials it more seeks to understand given the current reluctance of officials in say the united states in europe and so on to pursue what i think most people agree would be necessary mm-hmm. to bring about a resolution what then can palestinians do and their supporters do yeah. um, and it's very tough and there's disagreements um at the cha- one of the chapters I mentioned, for example, about whether armed struggle can end the blockade of Gaza, mm. um, that's not a question which comes up a lot in Western discussion where yeah. that question, that, that issue is often treated simply in moralistic terms. Yeah. Is it right? Is it wrong? question of efficacy, what would actually work? Um, it's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, I have my own views on that topic. In my opinion, the best prospect and it still is a long shot, it must be acknowledged, but the best prospect and I think the only prospect actually in a in the foreseeable future for resisting and rolling back Israel's encroachments is mass nonviolent resistance on the model of the early years of the first Intifada, which is why I'm so interested in what's happening now in Gaza. Mm-hmm. I think it's an experiment. Um, which, if successful or if partially successful, could influence future char- fu- the character of future efforts by mm-hmm. Palestinians to resist the occupation. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for reasons also discussed in the book, it's taking place in a particularly inhospitable international environment, um, where, as I say, the regional states are otherwise occupied, um, and the US is ruled by an administration which is particularly impervious to
1: moral pressure mm-hmm. on these issues. Yeah. So the book indeed came out before the, uh, the beginning of this mass uh, nonviolent yeah. protest on uh, the Gaza border. And I was wondering how do you see, well, given that more than 10 weeks have passed since it started, this uh, mass protest have started, uh, how do you see the dynamics uh, developed there? Do you see this to be as, a, as holding a, a promise of success?
2: I still think it could succeed I think if If it had happened At a slightly more hospitable uh, International juncture Then it would have almost certainly Succeeded Mm -hmm. The reason it's so difficult is As I say, international conditions are now uh, Very adverse Nonetheless, I think The promise of that strategy Has already been demonstrated For example uh, if if you look at the level of international outrage that was generated after the May 14th massacre, um, it was already... So by that point, around 100 Palestinians had been killed. Uh, it was already much greater than the level of um, international outrage generated during Operations Protective Edge and Castled at that stage of those operations. I mean... By May 14th, the protests had already been going on for many weeks, and as I say, more than 100 people had been killed. In Karzaleh, almost that number were killed in the first few minutes, and there was no international outcry. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the protests have shown that mass nonviolent resistance can um, achieve better results at lower cost yes. than armed struggle. Now, can they succeed in budging the siege? I think it's an open question. Uh, the, uh, I think Israel has unfortunately succeeded in portraying the protests as violent, which is a, which is a, a deceit. And it's, um, it's been very disheartening to see how um, easily and quickly and rapidly that deceit gained traction and has kind of congealed into common sense mm-hmm. um, abroad. But nonetheless, it has gained traction, so it will require some real creative thinking on the part of the organisers in Gaza to um, to think of ways forward. Mm-hmm. I, my understanding is that protests are s- tentatively scheduled to resume in a big way in September. Um, although, of course, developments in the interim, there might be a deal in the interim, um, could change that. Uh, I think that if it does succeed It will be protracted It will be a long struggle Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think If Gazans can Muster the reserves uh, The determination And the will And the courage To continue to maintain Non-violent discipline In the face of What has really been A shocking Level of uh, Murderous force Directed against them um, I think they can render the siege, at least in its current level of intensity, politically uh, untenable.
1: Yeah. Now, um, obviously the, the main uh, strategy discussed currently and, and, and addressed currently in Israel and outside um, is the prospect of BDS. Does the book take a position on the book doesn't take a position on this
2: or anything because the different contributors disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a chapter specifically devoted to BDS and also to other aspects of the international scene. It was dropped for basically for reasons of length. Mm-hmm. Um, but many contributors reference mm-hmm. BDS uh, when discussing potential alternatives mm-hmm. forward. And there seems to be at least among those contributors who are, uh, Support increasing pressure on Israel um, to end the occupation, Mm -hmm. and particularly among those contributors who kind of subscribe to a more of a one state paradigm, uh, uh, BDS seems to be one of the
1: hopes to which they are kind of clinging. Mm -hmm. Um, So, would you say that the book as a whole, uh, the uh, collection of uh, discussions, amount to an argument, or is it just too open a field? I don't
2: think it amounts to an argument in any straightforward sense, uh, just because it's a collection of of specific debates about specific issues about which many of the contributors completely disagree with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, of course, if a reader finds herself uh, agreeing, happening to agree with, say, most of the pessimistic contributors or most of the optimistic contributors, that might add up to a political conclusion. Mm, It depends... On the judgment of the reader really. Um, I think it's fair to say that the book as a whole is rather sobering as regards the scale of the challenge faced by Palestinians and supporters of truth and justice in that region. Um, what I hope that it will do is to prompt readers, uh, both new readers but, and, and also readers who uh, are already well versed in these mm-hmm. issues, to look afresh at some core issues and to rethink them. Um, The participants are not arrayed on traditional lines. It's not a pro-Israel versus pro-Palestine sort of book. Um, They approach these issues from unusual angles, one would say. So I hope that it causes readers to think about these issues afresh. Mm -hmm.
1: So you obviously arrived at the project uh, very well informed and also involved in, I in, guess, in, in the politics of the of the conflict. Uh, what did you learn from the process of doing it? What uh, What did it contribute to you as an editor? The process was extremely educational,
2: uh, both for sure as an editor and as a student of the conflict.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Every chapter taught me things that I didn't know. And in fact, the whole thing was an exercise in realising how much I don't know still about the core issues. And um, perhaps because the debate, at least abroad, is, tends to be focused on a number of flagship issues, you might say, say one state versus two state, without really going into a lot of the the details. And and I think one of the things I really learned from the book is that the devil really is in the details. Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer to those often technical questions can't be straightforwardly read off from one's broader political Mm -hmm. um perspective instead of going through like all of the specific things that i learned i guess i would answer the question by pointing to a a couple of overarching insights Mm -hmm. that i gleaned um number one i think that There's a a tendency, and certainly I subscribe to this at times, and I see it in others, particularly those who have now judged that a two-state solution is impossible. There's a tendency to view the obstacles to resolving the conflict as if they were kind of physical obstacles, like the settlements are now too big to make a viable Palestinian state possible, for example. And what I think the book taught me is that really it's... it's the political dimension which is key. These are political um, problems, they're problems of political will, of coalition building, of organizing. There's nothing, it certainly wouldn't violate physical law to withdraw the settlements, uh, or at least enough of the settlements to to make a two-state solution possible. It's a question of politics. Mm -hmm. That's one big insight that I think I drew. Um, Another is kind of what I just said, which is that um, on many of these issues, they're quite technical, and you have to uh, you have to drill into the details and be willing to um, temporarily set aside the broader kind of slogans to which one's committed. Um, I think a good example is the chapter on the settlements, where um, Shaul Arieli, for example. So I think I think there's a a common view that the settlements are completely sprawling; they've covered the whole West Bank and there's no physical space left for a Palestinian state. Um, Shaul Ariely's contribution makes clear that's not the case. In fact, the distribution of the settlements is such that they're concentrated very close, most of the settlers are concentrated close to the Green Line. The settlement blocks, as they're called, it slightly depends on how you define what's included in the blocks, but basically they take up 4-5% four, four to five percent of the uh, West Bank. And the question is, and Ariely argues that a land swap of four to five percent um, would still permit a two-state solution to be possible at reasonable cost. Now the other crucial thing that I learned from that chapter, however, is that four percent doesn't sound like a lot. Five percent doesn't sound like a lot. And that's part of the problem because when Israeli negotiating teams make these very generous sounding offers, oh we've offered 93% of the West of, of the occupied territories And they're still quibbling over 7%. It sounds like Palestinians are being unreasonable. Mm -hmm. But what Jan de Jong's contribution to that chapter, which is in opposition to Ariades, Mm -hmm. makes clear is that it's quality, not just quantity. Mm -hmm. I mean, take the obvious example. I think East Jerusalem constitutes 0.5%, less than 1% in any case of the occupied territories, but a Palestinian state is inconceivable without it. Mm -hmm. Um, More generally, to assess the viability of particular land swaps, you have to take into account their impact on the socio-economic viability of a future Palestinian state. The areas where Israel has concentrated its settlers are not just close to the green line, they're also right in the middle of the heartland, the economic heartland, the transportational um, nexus and hub of a future Palestinian state. Um, And Jan de Jong argues that to uh, annex those areas to Israel while giving Palestinians some, you know, Peripheral areas in return would fatally undermine the viability of a future state. And these are technical questions, and they have to be addressed in a much more serious and informed way mm-hmm. than um, they, they they
1: tend to have been. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, the book at least offers uh, uh, an opening for a discussion focused on these questions, which is why so it is why so why, why it's so important. I'm sorry. We've taken uh, almost too much of your time. Can you just tell us uh, in closing uh, what research you're working on nowadays? So I'm very excited to be beginning a PhD uh, at the
2: University of Oxford in October. I'm also working on a book with a brilliant activist and writer from Gaza, Mohammed Shahada, uh, about the current protests in Gaza. We've just started working on it. Um, I've already explained why I think these protests are not just one of the most heroic and inspiring examples of non-violent resistance that I'm aware of but they also have the potential to be a turning point in the Palestinian struggle uh, against the the siege at first and the occupation more generally so we've just started working on that book um, and I hope it will be out next year
1: hopefully Jeremy Steinweiner, thank you for coming to the show. Thanks so much.